Hello everyone, welcome back to the Grow and Learn podcast. This is Zorina. Today we're going to be speaking about speaking. That is, yeah, everybody thinks they can speak, but can you really do it well? Are you afraid of speaking? Are you more afraid of speaking than you're afraid of death, which is what statistics used to say 30 years ago? I don't know about that. I'm going to hear more from a communication specialist that I'm bringing for you today, Brandon Kumanas. Let me not chop this. Kumarasami. Hi, Brandon. It's good to be here, Zarina. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining. So before we begin, I'd like to read something that caught my attention from uh, your bio. And it is this. I started my YouTube channel, Master Talk, because I realized that everything I was teaching wasn't available for free on the internet. I heard a ton of advice that didn't make much sense, like be yourself or get up on stage, or better, imagine everyone in their underpants. <laughs> I like that. Um, okay, I admit it, I haven't heard of this one, imagine everyone in their underpants, but what should people do instead then? Yeah, What's it's a great approach? point. <laughs> and, I, and I think the reason you haven't heard it, Zarina, it's probably more of an American saying or a Canadian saying. That's probably why. And, and for good reason. It's good that you haven't heard it before because it's terrible advice anyways. <laughs> so, so for me, you know, communication, to keep it really simple, is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. So one of those balls is eye contact. One of them is facial expressions. One of them is body language. But the goal to keep it really simplistic is what are the three easiest balls to juggle because if you just juggle those three balls it's going to be really easy for you to build momentum so let's start with ball number one the easiest one which is the random word exercise pick a random word like phone like home like light bulb like doorknob and create random presentations out of thin air and the reason you do this is for two ways number one is because it helps you deal with uncertainty. Life is filled with it, Serena. Like when you're meeting somebody new at a party, you have no idea how that conversation is going to go. And the second piece is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. So if you do the random word exercise a few times a day, it'll be really easy for you to think on your feet. Mm -hmm. so, so that would help you once you're on stage or attempting to speak. Yeah, so what, what I would say, Zarina, is it really helps you with everything. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. So one of them is, let's say you get asked a question in a presentation that you don't really know the answer to. Because you did the random word exercise so many times, which is much harder. Like talking about bagels is way harder than talking about something that you already know, that you're already an expert in. So you're going to have a lot less anxiety dealing with those questions, and you won't be fearful. The other piece is making small talk. So we see this all the time when you meet somebody new. You have no idea how the conversation's going to go. They're going to ask you something. You're like, how do I answer this? They ask you about sports, and you don't really watch sports. Like, how do you deal with that? But if you do the random word exercise a lot, it's really easy for you to think on your feet and, and say something that isn't too crazy when you're making small talk. And of course, the third piece you talked about, which is speaking on a stage or really just speaking in a workshop, which is the same thing in my mind, is when we're communicating and we learn how to deal with random subjects, it's very easy to prepare for presentation that we actually know what we're talking about. Now that you said this, that you gave your uh, tip number one, the first thing to do, I remember I had a, I'm Bulgarian uh, originally, so I went to an English language school and my, I, at some point I had a 
teacher in English. Her name was Miss Lyons. And she would um, make us write crazy essays like the camel and the moon. That would be the subject. And then you can write whatever you like. So this reminds me of uh, what you suggested, making up um, just random, uh, developing um, a story out of random words. So who are you, Brandon? You're based in Canada now. Are you born in Canada? What's your background? How did you end up speaking or talking about this subject? For sure, for sure, Zareen. So I'm born and raised in Montreal in Canada. And and for those of you who know, Montreal is a city where you need to know I speak French, which is a language I didn't know. I, I know it today, but my whole life I struggled presenting in a language I didn't know. So I never really wanted to be a speaker or a communicator or a coach. That was never the goal. I actually went to business school for accounting, Zareen. That's what I graduated in, which is literally the opposite of what would expect a communication expert to do. But then what happened was when I got to college, I started competing in case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing, you know, football or rugby or basketball, I wasn't one of those guys. I did presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started coaching all the other students in college so they would get better at speaking. And I accidentally developed a talent in communication coaching. And that's what led to the idea of the YouTube channel. I was thinking, yeah, this information isn't really available for free. So let me just start making videos. And here we are a few years later. Mm -hmm. So what do you do now? You coach people to present better? What is your offer? You got it. So, so now the business is two, two areas. The first one is the media side of Master Talk, which is how do we make communication free for the whole world? So that's through the Instagram content, the YouTube ch channel, the LinkedIn, you know, just posting all the time to give people access to the information for free or podcasts like this. And, and the other piece to Master Talk is the coaching business, which helps sustain everything else. So a very small percentage of the people that follow me maybe like 1% or 0.5%, they'll work with me privately. And it's not really new information. It's more the difference between going to a gym and paying for a membership and never going to the gym and hiring a personal trainer. So when you have a personal trainer and they're up at 5 a.m., you kind of have to wake up at 5 a.m. and be there. So that's what I do for a lot of my high-level execs and CEOs, yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I have a lot of questions actually to ask you about communications because I personally have um, read a few books on presentation. I used to struggle. I actually dealt with my um, anxiety for public speaking, I think, 10 years ago, although I had presented 20 years ago even. But at some point, it was coming and going. So I dealt with it with uh, NLP tools, with Silver Method tools, um, neurolinguistic programming. How do you help people deal with their anxiety? Right. The, the way that I do it, Serena, I don't think there's a right answer, by the way, or a wrong answer, because I, I love the fact that you used NLP and, and different strategies to help you overcome it. My version of this is more about acknowledging that the fear is there regardless of what you do in life. So I'll give you an example. For all of you listening to this podcast, think about everything that you've accomplished in your life, whether it was applying for college, getting into a good school, getting married, asking somebody on a date, applying for your first job, starting a business, doing a side hustle, buying your first home, or even having a child. Did any of those things have zero fear associated to it? Of course not. 
right? It's, you don't wake up and say, I'm going to start a side hustle with zero amount of fear. You go, I'm scared. So why do you do it anyways? You do it because the motivation, the incentive of making some money to provide for your family is greater than the fear that it is associated with. Same thing with starting a business or asking somebody on a date, oh my God, look, I'm so scared of this, but I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life, so I might as well figure this out. So the motivation is greater than the fear. But we don't bring that same rationale to communication. We just go, oh, I'm scared. I'm anxious, so I probably shouldn't do it. Instead, I think the better lesson is, where's our motivation? That's why the question for me that I challenge people to think about, Zarina, is how would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? Start to reflect on that. How would you define an exceptional communicator? I mean, there, there are a lot of definitions. Some say you should be able to listen, but I don't think that only listening is communicating. It's a part of it, yes. What is an effective communicator? And, and that's one of the big reasons why I thought I had something worth sharing. So hopefully my definition is better than what you've heard before. So let's start, what is the definition of communication? And then let's go into exceptional communication. Communication is fairly simple. How do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience? Let me repeat that again. Communication is how do we convey an idea in a way that achieves a specific outcome for a specific audience. And that could mean a hundred different things. That could be how do I show up really well on a podcast so that people get inspired to listen to our message today. That could be convincing my significant other that we should have Mexican food tonight and not Chinese food. Because it's still conveying an idea to a specific audience to achieve a specific outcome, which is to get my significant other to eat Mexican food, not Chinese food tonight. And then the third piece is selling on a stage, right? Convincing people that they should buy your offer. So all of this is communication. Pretty much everything we do is comms. But then the second part of your question, which is, Brandon, what's exceptional communication? For me, the way I define it, because it is hard, it's vague. Like, is it saying less ums and ahs? Is it speaking better? It's for me, exceptional communication is dependent on how many balls out of the 18 you can juggle effectively. So we talked about the random word exercise, but that's just one of those balls. I'm not going to list all 18 because it's really overwhelming, but I'll give you a few examples. You know, storytelling, body language, facial expressions, not saying any ums and ahs. So for me, an exceptional communicator is somebody who's able to juggle at least 10 or 15 of these balls simultaneously. Mm -hmm. But then there's this... Uh... Other aspect, I've, I can't remember the title of the book I read, but you know, there were all of these uh, cues that you give as to body language, eye contact, um, image, facial, everything related to image, basically, uh, the proximity of the audience and so on, you know, for, for people to relax, how to practice. But then there's this other option of the, it's, it's like the wild card. It's doing something absolutely different. You may be sweating like a pig on stage or you, wait, you may be doing something that is completely the opposite of what is expected from a speaker and yet be very effective just because you're different. Is this one of your 18 rules? <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the wild card point. So for me, Zarina, absolutely. It's just the way that I explained it is slightly different, which is like the random word exercise as an example. Because since the random word exercise is much harder than a regular scenario, your anxiety will be very, very well controlled if you've done that exercise 100 times. Another example I can give as well is PowerPoint karaoke. So PowerPoint karaoke is what I do with a lot of my clients privately, but I teach this exercise to everybody is we give them a slide deck that has nothing to do with their expertise. Like the first slide is like a giraffe. 
the second slide is like an iPhone. And they have to present the slides as if they created the deck and they have to make a coherent presentation. But the catch is they never see the slides before the presentation starts. So they literally get up and they go, okay, uh, so giraffe, uh, I love giraffes. And they just have to present. But that's a hundred times harder than giving a, a, a presentation you have time to prepare for on something that you know and something that you expect. So that's the idea. For me, it's always doing what's harder outside of the boardroom or the setting so that the setting is much easier to deal with. Mm -hmm. Would you say that different uh, communication skills are required for improv improvisation, which is this technique that you just shared, and for um, communication that is like your your based on your professional background, something that you've researched yourself, you're deeply into? Yeah, great question, Zarina. So yes. So with the random word exercise, that's great. And then the other piece that, that brings up the question you asked is, well, Brendan, for structured presentations, for something we're preparing, is there any tips to get better at that? I'll give you a simple one that most of us don't do, and it's called the puzzles. So jigsaw puzzles, you know those uh, toys we used to play as kids, you got like 500 pieces, a thousand pieces, you kind of put all the puzzles. So the question for all of us, Serena, is when we build a puzzle, which pieces do we start with first and why? And the answer is the edges. And the reason it's the edges is because those pieces are just easier to find in the box. Kind of pluck them out, make a make a create the outline and then you work here in the middle makes sense so far pretty simple why am i bringing this up i'm bringing this up because in communication unfortunately serena we do the opposite we shove a bunch of content in our presentation we get to the presentation we ramble throughout the whole thing and then the last slide sounds something like this uh uh you know like uh thanks and it's not very well done so how do we fix this it's very simple whenever you're practicing a presentation do it like a jigsaw puzzle. Start with the edges first. Do your intro 15 times, 20 times. Right? And a lot of people think 15, 20 times is a lot. But the truth is, is it's not. Because your introduction is two minutes. So do that 15, 20 times, which ends up being 30, 40 minutes. That's the first piece. The second piece is what's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. So same thing for the close. Do your conclusion 15, 20 times and then tackle the middle. If you practice in that order, you'll be way better at presenting. When you do your YouTube videos, do you do the same? Do you have the, do you start with the, with a long fringe with two minute introductions or do you jump in the subject? Yeah, great question. So after you, you've presented the, the number of times I have, you don't necessarily need to follow that structure anymore. But I think it's a great training wheel for somebody who's getting started. So for example, the reason I, I use this strategy, so I'm glad you asked me that question, is because a lot of us, when we prepare for presentations, you don't practice at all. So let's say we have a 30-minute presentation. We'll present it top to bottom like twice, and then we'll get tired and get lunch and never present it again. So for somebody who's really getting started, I would say absolutely just do it puzzle. Intro, conclusion, middle. So I do this a lot when I practice for keynotes where I'll do do intro, conclusion, middle, but I won't necessarily do that with uh, with my YouTube channel, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When you do keynotes, what are, what is the topic of the keynotes that you normally give speeches on? 
you could probably guess. So it's it's speaking about speaking. So like, but a lot of my keynotes are more just to be more clear, are are not like I'm in front of four hundred people. I do that sometimes, but it's rare. Most of the the work I get paid to speak on is intimate corporate workshops. So like two days ago, I gave a workshop for four hours to like the top twenty executives of a company. So it's very intimate. It's a small room, so there isn't five hundred people on that uh, in that room. Mm-hmm. Okay, so did you give them this uh, exercise with the giraffe, with the what was this called, the wild card? Yeah, the PowerPoint the karaoke. karaoke. Yeah. So, so since this was my first workshop with the company, I keep it really easy. So I had them do the random word exercise, which is more ball one, the question drill, which is ball two, and then puzzle, which is like ball three or four. PowerPoint karaoke is more ball nine. That's after you're like really good. So, so to keep it simple, if you haven't done the random word exercise a hundred times, you shouldn't even touch PowerPoint karaoke because it's way too stressful. So for me, I don't show PowerPoint karaoke to my clients. I don't force them to do it until they're like superstars. Like they've done the random word exercise a hundred times. They've done a hundred question drills. They've sent a hundred video messages to people that they love. Like they're really strong. And then I throw PowerPoint karaoke at them. Mm-hmm. Brendan, what would you say is more important, communication or knowing psychology of people or psychology in general to be able to communicate effectively? Or is this a part of marketing and sales? How do you see it? Because salespeople say, hey, we're all selling all the time. You say we're all communicating all the time. And it's both true. It's how you package it. But would you say that communication is a part psychology? Absolutely, Zarina. Yeah, I definitely feel that that psychology plays a big role in communication because we're we're communicating to human beings at the end of the day. Robert Cialdini is a great example of this in his book Influence. That's probably the great example of how we combine communication psychology. So you're right. I definitely think both are important. But what I would say is I usually like prioritizing communication over psychology and sales, not because it's more important, but because it's just easier to master. The, the problem with psychology is you really have to take your time to understand people, size them up, see where their eye contact goes, see where their body language goes, has an actual conversation with them. Psychology involves a lot of nuances and communication that a beginner just wouldn't catch. Right? And the, like, I'll give you one small example of this on when I'm on a podcast. So I get very different types of hosts. Sometimes when I get on a show, they're like, oh my God, Brendan, like, it's so great to have you. They're super extroverted. So I actually start yelling on the podcast because I want to match their energy. But other times on the other side of the spectrum, you're more in the middle, Serena. But the other side of the spectrum is, hey, Brendan, it's great to have you on the show. They're really shy. So I don't yell at all on that show or else I'll break the person in front of me. So that's an example of psychology where I'm matching the energy to increase my likability. But that's like ball 12 in my calendar. So I would start with the red to word exercise for sure. Very cool. So how is this helping you in your private life? Yeah, fantastic. So so the way that I think about it is communication impacts, to your point, not just in your stages, right? In your businesses, it impacts your life. You know, I'm always proud to say that I, I live with two women and I haven't argued with them in over 10 years. And the reason is because of communication. And one specific trick that I can teach on how to do this better is boundaries. 
right? So a lot of people, when we communicate with our significant others, this could be a platonic relationship, a romantic one, a friend, it doesn't matter. What happens a lot in those scenarios is whenever we convey ideas, we always say these five magical words. I need more alone time, Serena. I need more alone time. But here's my, my feedback on this. What does that mean? Does that mean you want to sit in a cave for two weeks and not talk to anybody? Does that mean you want 15 minutes in the morning to read a book? Does that mean you want to walk the dog for 30 minutes on your own? What does alone time mean? Because if we don't clarify what that means to our loved ones, it gets interpreted as this person doesn't love me. This person doesn't want to spend any time with me. This person doesn't care to be around me. So notice how one small sentence can be misinterpreted in a hundred different ways. So I need more alone time transitions to, hey, I would love 15 minutes in the morning to read my book because it allows me to show up better for our family. Is that okay with you? And notice how when you do it that way, you have no problems. Mm -hmm. And um, now speaking about the, the, the two women that you live with, Knowing that you're a communications um, expert and that you use communication to your advantage, do they not feel um, intimidated by that or that you're playing tricks on them or when you, when, <laughs> whenever you're communicating? Right. So, so the two women, just to make sure we're all, we, I'm clarifying this, is my mom and my sister, right? Just so people are aligned with me because they might think something else because communication is important. But, <laughs> but the, the other piece, not really. And, and the reason, Zarina, is I'm not giving speeches in front of them, right? I'm not saying like I'm a better communicator. So in those settings, it's more about matching energy, listening, keeping eye contact, smiling while listening, being present. Those are the areas that are really important when you're mastering interpersonal relationships. So for example, like I don't go up to my sister and tell her like all the different keynotes that I signed this week and all the interviews. I just focus the conversation on her. Right, because I don't want to make it about me, or else it gets boring really fast. Because I do the same thing every day. So I go like, "How was your day? Like, what's what's one big lesson you learned this week?" And I just listen to her. And we watch TV. So yeah. <laughs> so what, what role did they play in you developing your communication skills? Your family. They play a massive role. I, I think fa the family is your greatest teacher because you can get away with anything with strangers, right? Like you know, we'll do a podcast episode. I could, I could give a couple of answers, but there's no accountability after. It's not like, well, I'm not really paying attention to what Brendan's doing in his personal life. I just like the fact that he showed up on this podcast and he shared knowledge. And it's also true when you're big and famous, right? I was listening to this interview with Steph Curry the other day, one of the best NBA, NBA players, and he said it so well. He said, like, in 10 years, no one will really talk about Steph Curry, but his family will always be there. So how you're treating your family really matters because they see you 24-7 all the time when when there is no camera when there are no lights when you're not being interviewed how are you showing up in those areas and i've made a lot of mistakes in my life in that way and i've gotten better over time i meant while you were growing up when you were developing in these skills before you went to university as it, it i'm just supposing here that you had some predispositioning towards speaking already at a younger age usually people show up their aptitudes early on so what role did your family play in developing these skills that you now have? Or would you say I learned everything when I set my mind to it and I studied this? That's a fascinating question, Zarina. Thanks for that clarification. 
What I would say is my family probably did play a massive role in me being the, the speaker that I am today from a skill set perspective because I learned most of it in university. But there is one thing I'll give my family credit for, which is forcing me into a French education system. I didn't want to go to French school because I didn't know the language. But my parents really forced me to do that because... I needed to know French or else I wouldn't be successful in Montreal. You just can't do business here if you don't know the language or you're going to do a lot less business. So for that reason, I sucked at communication most of my life. But that became a gift because later in my life when I got really good at it, I could empathize a lot more with a lot of the people I ended up working with whose English is not their first language, a lot of them who want communication support. So it's easier for me to reach the masses. So that's where I think my family played a big role. And the other piece is they didn't throw labels at me. So one of the things about me is I have a, I have a left arm that's crooked, right, as you can see on the screen here. So because of that, I was always really intimidated whenever I'd speak because people always look at my arm. They don't look at my face whenever I talk. But my family never assigned that label to me. Oh, you know, you have this physical disability. You never do anything with your life. They never told me. They just treated me like everybody else. And I think that was a big confidence boost early on. Those are the two answers I'll come up with right now. But I'll probably have to think more about that for sure. <laughs> okay. No, but I can understand how the language barrier can be a significant showstopper for a lot of people. Did you overcome it simply by learning the language? Or what is the way to get around this? Yeah, for sure. So so the way that you overcome this is definitely learning the language, but there's a simpler framework we can implement, which is let's say you're giving a speech in a second language, which for most of us is going to be in English. The first part is to write the speech in your native language first, regardless of what that language is, whether it's Spanish or Hindi or Mandarin, write it in your first language because you understand the vocabulary and the culture of that language. So start there. That's the first step. The second step is to translate that speech into English in the in the, your best way. Do it the best that you can. Use a Google translator. Know some of the words translated. The third step is the most important, though. It's called the vocab test, the vocabulary test. Present your English presentation to English native speakers specifically, people whose first language is English. Because when you talk, they'll go, that's how you pronounce that word, switch that, change this, change this, and they'll tell you what to practice, and your presentation will be 10 times better. And that's what I do even to this day, by the way, when I keynote in French. So when I keynote in French, English is my first language, French is my second, Tamil is my third. So whenever I keynote in French, I take my English presentation, I translate it into French, and then I ask French native speakers to help me out. That's a really good tip. Mm-hmm. Is there something that I haven't asked you or that you want me to ask you today that you feel like expressing just today? <laughs> <laughs> for, for sure, Zarina. I think the most important thing for today is understanding ball number four, which is the best way to speak is to speak. You could listen to me and Zarina talk all day, but if you want to get better at speaking, you actually got to talk. So my big call to action for everyone today is book 15 minutes in your calendar every single day to do the random word exercise, right? I know I've said that exercise like 10 times, but the reason why I say it so many times, Arena, because 90% of people listen to this don't do it, right? And that's really the key, is if you just do that a few times a day in the shower, when you're walking your dog with kids, if you have any kids, and you do this five times a day for five minutes, in a month, 
you'll have done it 150 times, which is wild. And that's where you'll see in a spike in your communication skills. I think I missed the, the, the task because you said 15 minutes a day, but in a month you would have done it 30 times. Right, right, right. So, so the reason, yeah, yeah. So, so the re, let me re rewind. Uh -huh. Okay. So, so book 15 minutes a day, right? But you could do it for five minutes. But the idea here is to just do the exercise five times every day. Ah, okay. So that in a month, 30 days later, five times 30 is 150 times. Right. That's mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. okay. yeah, I know the math gig is complicated. There's so many numbers being thrown around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at some point it didn't make sense to me, but what do you mean 15 minutes? Okay. And yeah, now it's clear. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. Where can people reach you? What's your social media? Absolutely. Can they learn from you on social media? For sure, Zarina. So there's two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way to keep in touch is to attend one of our communication workshops that is absolutely free and that's a lot of fun. And a lot of people come to that call. Eight-year-olds come to that call. CEOs of big companies come to that. And so if you want to join, go to rockstarcommunicator.com and I can't wait to see you at the next one. Awesome. Thank you so much for all the tips you shared with us. It was a real pleasure. Likewise, Zarina. Super fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.